Oh, how he loves you and me. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews, as we begin our look at this passage at the beginning of, of, of this chapter, moving through this book carefully, I hope, and seeing some things, understanding some things that maybe we have not in the past, and understanding some great Christian truths all the more uh, deeply and, and more greatly. I'm tempted to comment on the Sunday school lesson this morning. I've had a bunch of questions about it. But I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to comment on the Sunday school question tonight, okay, uh, on the end of the book of Mark. So if you, were, you had questions about it, please feel obligated to be back here tonight to get the answer to that, all right? And we'll talk about that a little bit. Hebrews chapter 10, I'll still be in the Apostles' Creed, but I'll add that on. And I won't take up any extra time. Um, chapter 10, verse 1. We're moving out of an understanding of the Old and the New Covenant to talk specifically about the sacrifice of Christ related to that New Covenant. Verse 1, he says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of those things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, that is Christ, when he came into the world, when he comes into the world, he says, and here is a loose quotation of Psalm 40, which Brother Scott read just a little while ago. For when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. And after saying the above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, he goes on and continues that thought, but we won't get into that today until, until next Sunday. But in these first ten verses, what we are seeing here clearly is the sufficiency of Jesus Christ's sacrifice. The absolute sufficiency of what he did on the cross to not only cover sins, but to take away sins. To not only make a way that sins might be forgiven for a little while, but that sins might be forgiven for all time in all places in all those who believe. There is an absolute sufficiency in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The John MacArthur, uh, who's one of my favorite 
preacher writers, uh, tells the story of an of a English village who had a chapel. And on that chapel, there was an archway as you came into the chapel. And on that archway was written these four words, great words, we preach Christ crucified. And for many years, godly men stood in that pulpit of that chapel, and they did just that. They preached Christ crucified, his sufficiency, his totality in his sacrifice as the only means of salvation. But as the uh, generation of godly pastors kind of passed off the scene, another generation arose that began to consider that the cross and, and, and its sufficiency, even the, the cross and its meaning was antiquated and really repulsive in what they thought. They began to preach a salvation by Christ's example rather than by his blood. They didn't see the necessity of his sacrifice. And after a while, it was said that ivy began to grow and began to creep, and it began to creep up toward that arch on the right side of it, and it began to cover up the word crucified. Until after a while, all you had up there was the words, all you could see were the words, we preach Christ. Now crucified was completely covered up. Later on, another generation of pastors rose up who began to see that even the idea of Christ and him being the only way that he, he him being uh, salvation being confined to Christ and the word of God really was kind of repulsive and really was kind of narrow and was really kind of kind of bigoted toward other faiths and so they began to give discourses on social issues and politics and philosophy and, and moral rearmament and, and whatever else happened to spark the interest of the people. And the ivy continued to grow a bit. And as the ivy grew, it covered up the word Christ. Until finally, the arch simply said, we preach, was all that you could see. Well, I think that's a good example of where we are in many ways in our culture. Even with our own denomination, even with our own churches in America, there was a time when across this land, the churches stood boldly on the truth of we preach Christ crucified. There was no exception to that. There was a clear de declaration of that in every message that was ever preached. But as, as, as postmodernism and political correctness began to enter in, that whole idea of a bloody sacrifice of Christ became somewhat uh, somewhat. Uh, disturbing to some people and so they begin to downplay the cross downplay the the crucifixion as a matter of fact there are churches in this land or so-called churches in this land that you can go into now and they would no more have a cross in the front of their sanctuary than, than they would have a, a lamb being slain bloodily there I mean it's just out of the question because crucifixion sacrifice is really not a very popular manner today uh, there are others who have moved into the, to the vein of where, well, you know, just to say that Christ is the only way, that the only way to salvation is in Christ, the words of Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father. No man finds relationship with Almighty God except through me is really quite bigoted, really quite narrow. And so they begin to proclaim that there are other ways. One church in our own state just last Saturday, a week ago, on 9-11, uh, had a day where they celebrated all faiths and all holy books. It's right here in Kentucky. And they had a rabbi read from the Torah. They had a, an Amman read from the Quran. They had a, a Buddhist priest read from the Buddhist writings. They had a, a, a Shiite, uh, not a Shiite, that's a Muslim, a, a Sikh, thank you, a Sikh pre uh, speak and read from the Sikh books, and on and on. They had about eight or nine religions. And the point they made was, in their publicity was, we want to see that there's room in God's family for all expressions of faith. 
Well, that may be true from a politically correct understanding of what faith is, but from a biblical understanding of faith, that is absolutely an abomination unto God. I mean, that's the only way to put it. Because the scripture is clear that unless you are in Christ, you are alienated from God, you are separated from God, and will be for all eternity. I like what Paul said when he came to the Corinthians. and We think we're a sophisticated culture, but the Corinthians were just as sophisticated as we are. They may not have had as much knowledge as we do because of all the time that's gone by and various discoveries, but they were a very sophisticated people. And when Paul came to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, he said, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, I didn't come with great philosophical arguments. I didn't come with a lot of entertainment. I didn't come with a way to kind of snare you in so that I can somehow manipulate you into some kind of false decision. I came telling you what is the truth, and the only thing I wanted to know, the only thing I wanted to proclaim, the only thing that mattered was Christ and him crucified. That's the essence. That's the, the gospel, if you will, in a nutshell. That helps us to understand what the gospel is truly is. But in the old, old covenant that he's comparing here to this new covenant, to this new sacrifice, when you compare the old sacrifices with the new sacrifices, one thing he makes clear is no matter how many sacrifices were made or how often they were made, they were ineffective in doing what the people greatly desired. You know, you hear Psalm 40, you hear the other Psalms, you hear other statements in, in earlier passages in the Old Testament, and one of the things you find is there's a great cry unto God. There is expression saying, I, I want to know you, I want to know your face, I want to know your presence, I want to have an experience of that unity, I want to have an experience of that knowledge of you. There's a great desire, but there seems to be something lacking in all of them. Something lacking in every case of it. And the thing that lack is lacking is they have not seen the reality. They've only seen the shadow. And the shadow does not accomplish what the reality does. And the shadow does not bring fulfillment like the reality did. There are several things, several ways which the old covenant failed them. One thing was they, it, the, the old covenant could not bring access to God. For the people. For the high priest, there was an access into the Holy of Holies. For the high priest, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, which, by the way, was in the Jewish uh, way, uh, life and faith, was yesterday. In that one thing, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies and would have an encounter, spiritual encounter, with the living God, but only him for the people. But I find it interesting that still... Yesterday and Friday night and yesterday, uh, Jews all over the world were celebrating Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement for the Jews. And yet, while it is still observed, it is observed today without a priest, without a high priest, without an altar, and without a sacrificial lamb. The very things that made it somewhat effective, at least temporarily, temporarily, are missing today. There is no sacrifice. There is no altar. There is no high priest to offer it. I, I have a great admiration for uh, a political, cultural, and political commentator uh, that appears nightly at about a quarter of seven every night on a panel on Fox News. His name's Charles Krautenheimer. Krautenheimer. I can't ever say his name right, but you know what I'm talking about. 
Charles Crotenhammer. And, and he, he's a great political and cultural uh, commentator. He's also Jewish. Well, I didn't realize that, to be honest with you. But Friday night, I turned on that particular segment because when I'm home, and, and I can, I always watch Charles because I like his insights on so many things. And so I was watching him, uh, for, the, for him on the panel, and he wasn't there. And the person sitting in for him said, well, I, I bring you a, a, a greeting from Charles. He couldn't be here tonight because he's at synagogue. Uh, tonight, he wanted you to know that he is at synagogue atoning for his sins. Now, let that sink in for a minute. He's there atoning for his sins with no altar, no sacrifice, and no high priest to go before him, to go in for him. He's there trying to do something that cannot be done because the Jews have rejected the new covenant that has been given in God, and they are truly left to fend for themselves. They really are. They're left to fend for themselves, to try somehow, one day a year, and Charles goes on. I, I read some of his biography, and I love him. But, it, but he goes on to say, you know, I'm really not a religious Jew. I'm just a secular Jew. I, I do observe the, ho, the, the high holy days, like Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. But the rest of the year, it really doesn't mean anything to me. But I go once a year, and I try to atone for my sins. I try to fend for myself one day before God. Folks, if ever there was a hopeless situation, that's it. If I have to try to fend for myself, try to atone for my own sins, that brings one, th there's only one thing that can atone for my sins, and that is death. That is blood being shed. And if it's not in the new covenant, under the new sacrifice, under the sacrifice of Christ alone, then that death will be my death, that shedding of blood will be the shedding of my blood, not just temporally, not just uh, physically, but forever as I have to pay for my own sins rather than seeing that Christ has paid for the sins. And that's what, uh, that's what the writer here is talking about basically in verse 1 when he said, The law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come uh, may, uh, and not the very form of those things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. No matter how near they come to the sacrifice, no matter how near they come to that altar, they cannot bring a, a, a cleansing. They cannot bring anything that will last, even though they seek to draw near. Paul, in, in, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 17, uh, made this statement. He said, well, really verse 16 and 17, Therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink, or in respect to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. Those are all things that are wrapped up in the Old Covenant. Then he says, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance of these things belongs to Christ. That is, the new moon, the festivals, the what you eat, what you drink, as far as what the, the dietary laws of the Old Testament talked about, those things, even the Sabbath day, are just shadows of that which was yet to come, and that shadow is fulfilled. That shadow is magnified and manifest in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying to them there, don't get caught up in legalism. Don't get caught up in don't eat this, don't drink that, don't go here, don't do this on one day, don't do that on another day, but, and be sure you have these festivals, these celebrations. 
he's saying, listen, understand, all of that has been wrapped up in, fulfilled in, and is now encased in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are in him, all of that is fulfilled. It's not an external thing, it's an internal thing. It's not something that others can judge you by. It's, it's something that you have already been judged by because you are in Christ. The old covenant could not the old covenant could not bring access to God. Second thing the old covenant couldn't do, according to this passage in verses two and three, is the sacrifices of the old sacrifice, the day of atonement, could not remove sin. Verse 2, otherwise they would, not have, they would not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But those, in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year. He talks about consciousness there. He, he talks about the conscience of a man or a woman, of you or me of those who draw near. Those consciences were, were, were not cleansed, he said. They were, they, they were, they were never cleansed. They, would have, they, they were continually aware of sins. As a matter of fact, the sacrifices served as a reminder of sins year after year. You, you see, consciousness or the conscience has to do with man's innate awareness of wrong or sin in his life and his sense of guilt because of it. It's an amazing thing that God has built into us. Uh, you know, there is a sense in which we know right and wrong from the time we are very, very, very young. We know what's good, we know what's bad, we know what's right, we know what's wrong. And, and we know most of the time, we may not act on it, but we know that if we do what is wrong, there will be a consequence. If we do what is sin, there will be a judgment on that, uh, either temporally here in this life by mom or dad, usually if we're real young, or eternally by God if that becomes a way of life and continues a pattern of life for the rest of our life. The conscience is an amazing thing. Now we can sear our conscience, we can suppress our conscience, we can, we can try, to, try to trick our conscience and try to lie to our conscience, and, and many people do today. You know, they know it's wrong, but they say, no, it's all right, I know that's okay. Because, yeah, it's, it's all right, I don't have to worry about that. But the writer of Hebrews says here that, that the sacrifices only serve to heighten the consciousness that there was sin present in your life because every year there had to be some kind of atonement. There had to be some kind of, there had to be some kind of giving in order to remove it. But it was only external. Paul, uh, the writer, says it couldn't take it away. It was still there. It was still a reality. And, and so it can't bring you an encounter with God face to face, and it cannot remove sin. And the third thing about the old sacrifices is, as I've already alluded to, they were only external. They were only operating on the outside. External sacrifices were not what God desired. You know, even the person who offered those sacrifices, if they didn't offer them out of an honest heart, the sin was not covered even externally or ceremonially even for a time. I, I love the prophet Amos. He deals with that a lot. Amos 4, 4 and 5 says, Enter Bethel and transgress in Gilead, multiply, you know, Gilgal rather, multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Hmm, that's interesting. Your tithes every three days. 
offer, sorry, I digress. I offer a thank offering also from that which is leavened and proclaim free will offerings. Make them known for so you, uh, for so you love to do. You sons of Israel, declares the Lord God. Now it sounds like he's saying, oh, that's really good. You do all these things. But if you go over in Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, here's what he has God saying. I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Now what is Amos talking about? He's talking about the same thing that the writer here is talking about in Christ when he quotes Psalm 40 and says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired. In whole bird offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure. He's saying, listen, these are only external matters and if your heart is not right, the external act does nothing for your good. If the heart is not whole, if the heart is not honest, if the heart is not clean before God, if you just come and cut up a goat and offer the blood on the altar and then go out and say, boy, I'm glad that's over for a year. I will sin all I want and I'll get it covered again next year. He's saying, listen, I, I hate those things. I, I reject those things. I don't even like to hear you singing. That must be a, a, a great condemnation. And I think he says it to some churches even today. I don't even, I don't even delight in hearing you sing praise songs to me because your hearts aren't right. You're not covered by the sacrifice. You've not come to faith in Christ. You've not trusted in the only way. And so even your songs, they might be glorious. I reject. Even the harps. Harps, you know, we, we think of harps as the most angelic, melodious thing that you've ever heard. I mean, you know, even, it's just not biblical, but we think about going to heaven and becoming angels and strumming on our harps for all of eternity. That'd be beautiful. We don't become angels. And we, as far as I can tell from Scripture, we're not given harps. But there are harps that are played. David played a harp, and, and there are angelic beings that play harps, and, and that's viewed as sort of the most angelic, pure music that you could ever have. If one of you would learn how to play a harp, we'd have one up here. I hear it's very easy. <laughs> if you're born with the ability to do it, it's very easy. But he says, no, that's not what, that's not what I desire. Even in the old covenant, I, I desire justice. I want it to roll down like waters and righteousness. I want righteousness to be an ever-flowing stream. And there was this understanding that there, there was a need for righteousness even then. And now in Christ, we understand that we can't produce righteousness. It has to be his righteousness that is added to our account, imputed to us by his sacrifice. So there are some things the old sacrifice couldn't do. It couldn't, it, it couldn't bring access to God. It, it couldn't remove sin. And, and they were only external. They could only deal with the outside, never the heart, never the inside. And that was always problematic. They were always ceremonial. They were always ritualistic rather than real. 
But he goes on to talk about some of the, the marks, some of the certain marks of Christ's sacrifice that make it superior and make it sufficient where the old wasn't. In verse 7 he starts out and he says, Behold, I have come, and then there's a parenthetical note, in the scroll of the book it is written of me, I have come to do your will, O God. The thing about the sacrifice of Christ is that it reflects God's eternal will. Even in his life and in his death and in his sacrifice, as a substitute, we see the will of God reflected as it redeems a people for himself. It draws near those who are far away. Now, I got to tell you, if, if, if Christianity to you and if Christ to you is just, hey, let's go and hear a sermon on Sunday, after, uh, Sunday morning, maybe even again on Sunday night, and, and somehow I can chalk that up, that that's doing what I need to do, then you're no better than Charles Krottenheimer trying to go into the synagogue on Friday night to atone for your own sins. If you're saying, oh, I believe God will forgive me because I do this, this, and this, and they're all external, and they're all just things I can do, then you've missed the point. I'm afraid that's why we see so many young people, once they go through high school and enter into college, start rejecting the faith that they had as children, or that their parents had, or that their home church did. It's because it's, it's so shallow. It's so, it's so works-oriented. It's removed the crucified and ultimately removed Christ, and it's just sort of we preach, and, and for an hour or so on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and uh, whenever they just kind of preach, preach whatever they will, opinions, ideas, morality. But morality apart from the sacrifice of Christ is nothing but dead works. And so they say, well, I don't see any reality there. The writer here is talking about something that is real. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ has presented the eternal will of God. Not only that, he makes clear it's, it replaces the old system. Verses 8 and 9, after saying above the sacrifices and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired nor have you taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. They're done rightly, but you don't take pleasure in them. He, he, then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, and he takes away the first in order to establish the second. The first is gone. Any hope of just offering a sacrifice to be made right with God is gone. Any hope of just doing something you think is good to be made right with God is gone. It's only in Christ. He has replaced the old with the new. He has set aside the old in order to establish the new. But then the real great mark of its superiority and mark of its sufficiency is found in verse 10. By this will, by the will of God, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. What a statement. Through God's eternal will, applied by God's Holy Spirit, 
trusted in by those who have come to faith in Christ. We are sanctified. Now that word sanctified, we've talked about it some, but it, it still perplexes, it still, we still read that in some kind of mystical sort of way. What it means is we've been set apart. We've been made different. We have been cleansed. We have been established with righteousness that is not our own. We have been established with righteousness that is his righteousness. It sanctifies the believer. It not only covers up the sin so that it can't be seen. It, it, it doesn't just, as the old law does, uh, did temporarily say, okay, go and, and be okay for a while. But no, this has sanctified us. It's made us different. It's changed our life. By the body of Christ, his offering once for all, we have been made new creatures, Paul says to the Corinthian Christians. All the old things are passed away and everything's become new. See, that's real Christianity. That's real New Covenant Christianity. It goes beyond religion. It goes beyond churchianity or just being in church or just going to church or just trying to do your best. It goes to a radical change of life. And that's not done by you. I, I heard somebody this past week, not a member of our church. I would have had to have chastised them publicly. But I heard somebody at a table next to me say, you know, I'm trying my very best to, to do everything God has said in his Bible. I'm trying hard to do what's right. And I bowed my head and prayed for that person because they don't have a clue. Trying your best won't do it. It comes to a point of being with the Apostle Paul as we read in, in, in chapter 7 of Romans as we led into that time of confession of saying, Lord, who can separate me? Who can deliver me? Who can save me from this body of sin and death? And the answer is, through the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone can you find there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the reality of the gospel. That's the reality of the God. That's, that's the good news. Hey, there is no good news in, hey, Jesus has come. Now try real hard. That would be very bad. That'd be very in, inefficient, very, very unhelpful news. I'd go as far as that'd be bad news. The good news is Christ has come and has offered a sacrifice whereby your life may be cleansed and you may be made a new creature, not by your effort, not by your ability, not by your intelligence, but by the work of God's Holy Spirit in your life through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Yeah, that's good news. That's the gospel. So God says it's not shallow worship I want, it's not entertainment I want, it's not, it's not you feeling good about yourself that I want. It's truth in the innermost being. It's truth in the depths of your life, the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ. Being acknowledged as your sacrifice and your only hope. But you see how 
superior this new, new covenant is, this new sacrifice is under the old. You had to go over it and over it and over it and over it and over it. And you, had to, you had to hope against hope that it might work. And it didn't. But in Christ, it's once for all. Once and for all. Once it's done by him, it's not repeated. We don't crucify Christ over and over again. He went to the cross. He died as a sacrifice and a substitute, and that's it. You don't say, well, I'll wait for the next sacrifice. I'll hope, I'll hope something better comes along. Nothing better is coming. And nothing truer is coming. We preach Christ crucified. Period. I want to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. I want to declare nothing to you and I want you to believe nothing other than Christ and him crucified. I want you to know in the depths of your being that the gospel is true and the gospel is good and the gospel is sufficient. Let's pray. Father, we know that to know this requires your work, your drawing, your enlightening, in short, your power. Help us to see the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ. Help us to know that. And help us to live in it every single day. Father, I want to pray specifically right now for men and women who are sitting here in this room who have just been religious, who have tried, even though not like Charles in a, in a set-aside religious system to atone for their sins, Nonetheless, they've tried their best to atone for their sins and they've not come to trust in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for them right now that your Holy Spirit will show them the folly of their way, the folly of their hopes, the folly of their dreams, the folly of their false religion. and will bring them to the cross, the cross of Christ. Others, Lord, you're leading in different ways that they can deal with right before you, even as we did our sins silently earlier. They can deal with you right there. Others, Lord, they need to come maybe unite with this church. You're leading to do that. Father, I pray that you will make that clear, make that known in their lives. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.